And if you'll turn to Second Kings chapter 18, the, the format of this is that I want to read some verses here, and I want to show you how, at the end of it, we'll see the build-up how in a, in a nation full of sin, something that looks a hopeless case, there's hope. Because God's always in control. And when we look at hopelessness in our lives, we can see in this that God was always in control all the time, even though things look like they're out of control. And there's things that are out of control in your life, maybe out of control to you, but they're not out of control to Him. The idea of this is that we will read here, and we're looking at Hezekiah, the reformer king. We'll see how God moved, how God answered, how God blessed. But then we're going to see how Hezekiah himself, we might need to do it next week on the run-up, but how Hezekiah himself, he ends up that through his prayers, God answers, but he actually goes against the will of God at that time. And more trouble comes, but for the sake of hearing those that he loves. And God gives him. 15 years. And in 15 years, the blessing of God starts to decrease and the enemy moves in and Manasseh is born to Hezekiah, wickedest king in all of Judah. When he was going to die, if he had died, he wouldn't have lost his testimony. It's a mystery, isn't it? Come on in, Kevin. Sit down. Second Kings 18, please. Now it came to pass in the third year of Hosea, son of Elah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. Again, let me lay foundation. It's very important that we see two kingdoms here, two kings. Notice king of Israel, who was Hosea, king Hezekiah, who was king of Judah, the southern kingdom. Twenty and five years old, was he when he began to reign, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name also was Abai, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that David his father did. He removed the high places and broke the images and cut down the groves and break in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made. For unto those days the children of Israel did burn incense to it. And he called it Nehushtan. He trusted in the Lord God of Israel so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah nor any that were before him. For he cleaved to the Lord and departed not from following him but kept his commandments which the Lord commanded Moses. And the Lord was with him and he prospered whithersoever he went forth and he rebelled against the king of Assyria. You need to underline that. You need to mark that. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and served him not. He smote the Philistines, even to Gaza, the borders thereof, from the tower of the watchmen to the fenced city. And it came to pass in the fourth year of Hezekiah, which was the seventh year of Hosea, son of Elah, king of Israel, that Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, came up against Samaria and besieged it. In other words, he encamped around it. This is Samaria, is in the northern kingdom of Israel, and it was the northern kingdom of Israel's capital. I'm going to run you into this to show you the state of the place at this time. And so Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, came up against Samaria and besieged it. And at the end of three years, they took it. Notice, three years under siege. This wasn't just done in a day. Three years under siege. Even at the sixth year of Hezekiah, that is the ninth year of Hosea, king of Israel, Samaria was taken. This is the last of the northern kingdom being of the advancements of Assyria in the northern kingdom. I've tried to tell you this before to put a mental picture in your head. If you can imagine Ireland, Northern Ireland, and the Republic of Ireland. 
And you imagine Belfast, our capital, Dublin for the Republic. Well, the House of Israel was like that. It was the northern kingdom, the ten tribes in the north, had Samaria as their capital, and Jerusalem was the southern kingdom of Judah. So Hosea is the king in Israel at this time, the northern kingdom, and they're in Samaria. And Hezekiah is the southern kingdom's king of Judah in Jerusalem. So now Assyria has come from the north around the fertile crescent, across where Syria is. Assyria and Syria are not the same. Across where Syria is and has moved right into the northern parts of uh, Israel. And there's been war and bloodshed and they've been carrying away captives. They've come in again. I've told you, I've showed you the seven times punishment of these and showed you why they're in different time scales. But now listen, they go in and they take more out and they go in and they take more out until they get to the capital city, Samaria. And they encamp around it for three years. They eventually take it and the northern kingdom's defeated. But they don't stop there. They start moving south. In other words, they've taken Belfast and now they're moving south and they get to the border around Uri, if you want, where the Uri city would be and Armagh. They've come against there and there's what's known as fenced cities that we read off here. In fact, there are 46 fenced cities or 46 fortified cities. That's what they are, but they're called the fence city. So they come against it and eventually go right into Judah and they take 46 fence cities away with them. And it's calculated there's 200,000 from the house or the, or, or the kingdom of Judah, the southern kingdom, taken away as well. And now they start encroaching right on to Jerusalem. They're going to take the whole lot. So that's the story so far here. We are going to reverse back to show you how this all came to pass, okay? And it says in verse 13, now in the 14th year of King Hezekiah, did Sennacherib, king of Assyria, come up against all the fenced cities of Judah and took them. And Hezekiah, the king of Judah, sent to the king of Assyria to Lachish, saying, I have offended, return for me that which thou puttest on me and I will bear. The king of Assyria appointed unto Hezekiah, king of Judah, 300 talents of silver, 30 talents of gold. And Hezekiah gave him all the silver that was found in the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house. Now listen, whenever you notice this, what's happening here is he's starting to empty out the the holy things that God had set aside for his people for the worship. And he's saying here, you can have these. These are for your payment. And do you remember them when you read in the book of Daniel, how they had the, the uh, in Daniel chapter 5, Belshazzar's feast was there. And, Daniel, and by this time, they're all taken away into Babylon, all captive. And Belshazzar's feast is there. And Belshazzar sends for the vessels that were in the house of the Lord. This is them. That's how they end up there. You see, you sell your birthright. You know, you, you, you sell your birthright to the heathen. He's going to tramp all over it. You sell, your, your, you sell what God has given you and throw your pearl under swine or, or, or underfoot and people tramp on and swine will tramp on it. And this is what they were doing. And so this is just before all this happens in Babylon. Now look at this. Verse 16. At that time did Hezekiah cut off the gold from the doors of the temple of the Lord and from the temples which Hezekiah, king of Judah, had overlaid and gave it to the king of Assyria. And the king of Assyria sent Tartan and Rabsaris and Rabshakeh from Lachish to Hezekiah with a great host against Jerusalem. And they went up and came to Jerusalem. And when they were come up, they came and stood by the conduit of the upper pool, which is in the highway of the fuller's field. And when they had called to the king, there came out to them Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, which was over the household of Shedna the scribe, and and Joah the son of Asaph the recorder. And Rabshakeh said unto them, Speak ye now to Hezekiah. Thus saith the great king of Assyria, What confidence is this wherein thou trusted? Thou sayest, but they are but vain words. I have counsel and I have counsel and strength for the war. Now on whom dost thou trust? 
that thou rebellest against me. Now behold, thou trustest upon the staff of this bruised reed, even upon Egypt, on which if a man leaneth, it will go into his hand and pierce it. So is Pharaoh king of Egypt unto all that trust on him. But if you say unto me, we trust in the Lord our God, is not that he whose high places and whose altars Hezekiah has taken away and has said to Judah in Jerusalem, ye shall worship before this altar in Jerusalem. Now therefore, I pray thee, give pledges to my Lord, the king of Assyria, and I will deliver thee 2,000 horses if thou abide on thy part to set riders upon them. How then wilt thou turn away the face of one captain of the least of my master's servants and put thy trust on Egypt for chariots and for horsemen? Am I now come up without the Lord against this place to destroy it? The Lord said unto me, Go up against this land and destroy it. Then Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, and Shebna, and Joah, unto Rabsakeh, Speak, I pray thee, to thy servants in the Syrian language, for we understand it. And talk not with us in the Jews' language, in the ears of all the people that are on the wall. And Rabsakeh said unto them, Hath my master sent me to thy master, and to thee to speak these words? Hath not he sent me to the men? which sit on the wall, that they may eat their own dung and drink their own piss with you. Then Rabshakeh stood and cried with a loud voice in the Jews' language and spake, saying, Hear the word of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus saith the king, Let not Hezekiah deceive you, for he shall not be able to deliver you out of his hand. Neither let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord, saying, The Lord will surely deliver us. And this city shall not be delivered into the hand of the king of Assyria. Hearken not to Hezekiah, for thus saith the king of Assyria, Make an agreement with me by a present, and come out to me, and then eat ye every man of his own vine, and every one of his fig tree, and drink ye every one the waters of his cistern till I come and take you away to a land like your own land, a land of corn and wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of olive oil and of honey, that you may live and not die, and hearken not to Hezekiah. Then he persuadeth you, saying, The Lord will deliver us. Hath any of the gods of the nations delivered at, his hand, at all his land out of the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpat? Where are the gods of Seraphim, Hena and Iva? Have they delivered Samaria out of mine hand? Who are they among the gods of the countries that have delivered their country out of mine hand? That the Lord should deliver Jerusalem out of mine hand. But the people held their peace and answered him not a word, for the king's commandment was saying, Answer him not. Then Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, which was over the household of Shebna the scribe, and Joah, the son of Asaph the recorder, to Hezekiah, with their clothes rent and told the words of Rab Shekeh. Here they come and they're standing outside now Jerusalem and they say, don't you let Hezekiah make you follow the Lord. If you bow the knee to the great king of Assyria, if you bow the knee to my Lord, says Rab Shekeh, the king of Assyria, who is likened as unto by them, the God of the known world there. If you liken him, if you liken, uh, or if you bow the knee to him, to the king of Assyria, Sennacherib, some people said his name was Sennacherib, given an idea of an angelic being. If you bow the knee to him and bring a present with you, then you can come under our servitude and you'll be okay. But don't let Hezekiah put your eyes on the Lord. Boy, here we have a picture of Christ and Satan, the devil, in the wilderness. All these things will I give you if you just bow down and worship me. And thankfully, these men said nothing but went back to Hezekiah. Hezekiah was the reformer. Um, in the, if you're looking at, at the, the story of Hezekiah, you'll find that Hezekiah, and if you want to write these down, you can read them devotionally sometime, and you can see they're very similar. But Second Kings 18, 19, and 20, you can read Isaiah 36, 37, and 38, the chapters, that is. 
And they'll tell you these stories. And we have the, the, the king and we have the prophet. And you have the stories of them. But you're also told about it in Second Chronicles chapters 29, 30, 31, and 32. Now, if you read the, the story in Chronicles, it tells you more of the reforming that Hezekiah did. It tells you more of the, the getting things right before God. And he pulled down altars and he pulled down idols and he pulled down other gods. And, and you can read that. Obviously, time, you can't do that. And now this man is coming up to a test. You see, every time you take a step of faith, there's going to be a test of faith. And every time you try to move forward in God, the enemy's going to come at you. And what Hezekiah did, remember in the beginning of our reading, he rebelled against uh, the king of Assyria. He had king, uh, the king of Egypt as his friend at this time. And we'll show you in a minute. You find that the king of Israel, the kings of Israel, they actually had Syrians, the king of Assyria, as their friend and fought against their brethren, the house of Judah. And the house of Judah made friends with the Egyptians and actually fought against their brethren. It was a mixed up and crazy world that everyone was on everybody else's side. There was all politics happening all over the place trying to fight with each other. It's a wee bit like today, whenever you look at it. It's a little bit like, you know, uh, Russia's back in Assad and, uh, and the United States are back in the rebels, but then who are ISIS, you know? Who, uh, and Saudi Arabia are now um, back in the Lebanese and, 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 and are friends with the West, where um, Iran are, are back in Russia with, with, with um, the, the, the Syrian government of Assad. It's exactly the same. They're just they're gathering strength on every side. But really, what Hezekiah was told, you're going to depend on Egypt, but they're like a broken staff and it'll pierce through your hands. They'll not stay with you. They'll do nothing for you. And again, you can even see today, Britain has went in the last few years to Saudi Arabia like a begging bowl in their hands. Can you give us some money? They go to Europe with the begging bowl in their hands and yet they're pouring more money into Europe than we'll be good back again. And yet whenever Britain was at its height of empire, or even now at Commonwealth, we could find that if we were to turn to the Lord, we wouldn't need anyone else. The Lord would make sure there's provision and more than enough for our people, for our nation. And the Lord said to Hezekiah, I'm pleased with you. And here's a test. And brother and sister, how are you doing in the test? When the devil comes and you've said, I'm going to stand up for the Lord and I'm going to move forward in God and all of a sudden things just seem to go well and you're making your way up through the land of Judah and you come into the encroachments of the land of the, of the house of Israel and suddenly you find yourself passing slightly in rebellion past the, uh, in rebellion against the devil, past the, the fence cities of Judah into the other, the devil's backyard now. And the devil says, is that right? I'm going to chase after you. And you run back into Jerusalem. And you hide again. You roll into a ball. But the Lord says, no, you keep your eyes on me and I will give you the deliverance. I'll give you it. And every time the church, our assembly here, or every time you and your life or me and mine, every time we decide and have it in our heart and make up our mind, we're going on in God, there's always something to try to hold us back. The devil wants to destroy the work of God. He wants to destroy the work of God in you, and he wants to destroy the work of God in us that we are doing. Now, you can mark my words in that because this is what happens. You can see what happens in Scripture, that every time we say we're moving on in God, there's a big blockage. That's why our, our, our spiritual warfare is very important. That's why our armor that Paul tells us the whole armor of God to put on is very important. And when you put on the whole armor of God, it's for advancement. It's not to stand and, and, be, uh, and be thrown at with the, the darts. You're not a dartboard for the devil with the fiery darts of the wicked. It's for advancement. And there's no turning around for in the armor of God, there's no back parts in it. Did you know that? That's when you die. When you turn and flee, God says, be strong and have a good courage. 
God tells us to take our stand and then to move forward and advance in everywhere the sole of our foot trods. He says, then we can claim it and it be for his name. So the devil's right outside their gate here. He's in their backyard now. He's followed them down. And they have, they have come right back into Jerusalem. Now he's at the gates. He's at the walls. Don't trust in God. Come and bow the knee to our king and you'll be all right. Don't go on in God and you know what? You'll have a better life. Don't go on in God and things will be easy for you. Don't go on in God and, you know, just come and live your life the way you want to because what happens if it's all a waste? And all these things come and the people on their wall, they say, what do we say to this? They said nothing and they went back to the king. Brothers and sisters, see when the devil shows up. Say nothing. He's not worth it. He means nothing. Go back to the king. Go back to King Jesus. Here, you can read these, as I said, in those scriptures, but whenever we get to this place, this part where we are at the end of chapter 18, by now these men are out and they're showing how they're feeling, they're ripping their clothes. That's what they did when they were really distressed. They tore their clothes. In chapter 19, we read of Hezekiah's, um, how he deals with it. How Hezekiah deals with it. And it came to pass when King Hezekiah heard that he rent his clothes, covered himself with sackcloth and went into the house of the Lord. Can you imagine if our leaders done that? What our nation would be like? King George VI on, uh, in the Second World War, when the, when the Nazis had pushed them right to the very uh, shorelines of Europe, and there was nowhere to go but the English Channel. King George, hundreds of th- something like 300,000 or more on the shorelines of Allied forces. King George VI called a national day of prayer. And you can see the pictures. You look it up and you'll see pictures. People 10 deep right up the streets and round the road from uh, Westminster Abbey and St. Paul's. And, and they were just going to pray. They were going and they were, the churches were packed out and people were praying in the streets. Do you know what happened? God sent a miracle. The smallest of boats were able to go across that rough channel. It says that day it just went like a smooth pond. And even small fishing boats went over to be able to pick a few up and bring them back over. And between the, the, the Nazi Luftwaffe, they were about to take off and start dropping bombs in the beach. Sitting ducks had nowhere to go. The water's behind them. It's like, you remember Israel at the, at the Red Sea and the Egyptians are coming and God opens up the Red Sea for them. It was a miracle like this. And what happened was the, the, the Germans were coming over and the Luftwaffe were going to take off. And this great big storm between the Allied forces and the Luftwaffe was noted to go right up the whole coastline. And it became that hard and, and bad on the, on the Nazi side. The Nazis couldn't take their, let their planes take off the ground. And that stayed like that to every man was off the beach and back into Britain. A national day of prayer. You see, if our government turned and says, Lord, we're not having a broken staff to pierce our hands like Europe, or we're not having a broken staff to pierce our hands like the United Nations, we're turning to you. We're renting our clothes, and we're repenting. God will change everything around in our nation. Now, the Lord says, who is as blind as my servant, Israel? <laughs> Lord, we've got two eyes covered here. We've got our ears stopped and deaf. Notice this. If we look at it, verse 2, And Eliakim, which was over the household of Shaden, and the scribe and the elders and the priests, covered with a sackcloth to Isaiah the prophet. Here's Isaiah entering in again here. Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos. And they said unto him, Thus says Hezekiah, This day is a day of trouble and of rebuke and blasphemy, for the children are come to the birth, and there is not strength to bring forth. In other words, we're so weak. There's no fight in us anymore. Do you ever get like that? There's no fight in me anymore. I've had enough. It may be the Lord thy God will hear all the words of Rathshakeh, whom the king of Assyria, his master, hath sent to reproach the living God 
and will reprove the words which the Lord thy God hath heard. Wherefore, lift up thy prayer for the remnant that are left. So the kings, through the servants of the king of King Hezekiah, said to Isaiah, and Isaiah said unto them, Thus shall ye say to your master, Thus saith the Lord, Be not afraid of the words which thou hast heard, with which the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Behold, I will send a blast upon him, and he shall hear a rumor, and shall return to his own land, and I will cause him to fall by the sword in his own land. So Rabshakeh returned and found the king of Assyria warring against Libna, for he had heard that he was departed from the church. And when he heard say of Terhaka, king of Ethiopia, behold, he has come out to fight against thee, he sent messengers again to Hezekiah, saying, Thus shall you speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah, saying, Let not thy God in whom thou trustest deceive thee, saying, Jerusalem shall not be delivered into the hand of king, the king of Assyria. Behold, thou hast heard what the king of, kings of Assyria have done to all lands by destroying them utterly, and shall thou be delivered. Have the gods of the nations delivered them, which my fathers have destroyed, as goes on in Haran and, uh, and Zepheth, Zephyr, I think that's how you pronounce it. And the God of the children of Eden, which were in Thelassar. Where is the king of Hamath and the king of Arphad and the king of the city of the Seraphim of Hena and Eva? And Hezekiah received the letter of the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and says, O Lord God of Israel, which dwelleth between the cherubims, Thou art the God, even thou alone of all the kingdoms of the earth. Thou hast made heaven and earth. Lord, bow down thine ear and hear. Open, Lord, thine eyes and see. And hear the words of Sennacherib, which hath sent him to reproach the living God. Of a truth, Lord, the kings of Assyria have destroyed the nations in their lands and have cast their gods into the fire. They were no gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone, wherefore they have destroyed them. Now therefore, O Lord our God, I beseech thee, save thou us out of this hand, this out of his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that thou art the Lord God, even thy only. So Hezekiah takes these letters he now receives. And they're starting to hear God's already working. God's already started a war for Sennacherib to start distracting him. A letter comes. This is your last chance. See, the devil's last through. Sometimes it seems worse at the end before it gets better. Just before the breakthrough, before the Lord brings the breakthrough, things seem to get so impossibly bad and worse. That's why we don't be through praying. We pray through. That's why we never give up for the answers on its way. Because, you know, the, lot, the next prayer that you pray it could be that prayer that breaks through and pulls down the strongholds of Satan. And we keep going, we keep praying, we keep trusting. And the devil's saying, it's not going to work, it's never going to happen, this is a long fight, it's a long struggle, it's too hard, it's too big, it's too deep, it's too wide, or whatever it may be, the mountain's too high. You say, but my God is above it all. He's above it all. Here is the letter. Hezekiah reads it, and now he's starting to wobble. Where do you go? They have done this to all these gods. They have done this to all these countries and nations. He goes in and he puts it before the Lord and then he realizes, hold on, their gods are wood and stone. They're just idols. I serve the living God. It's who he is. It's not what they are. And it's not the size, the mass of the army of the enemy that's against us or coming to our front door. Or it's not the size of their rank or authority or headship. It's our God. He's Lord over all. He's King of kings and Lord of lords. And he says, Lord, you show them. Lord, I beat. Lord, I'm finished. I'm weak. People, the people are dumb. We've had it. So, Lord, if you don't step in, yeah, it's over. I've felt like that a few times. A few hundred times, maybe. I've felt like that. And when we get to our weakest, and we realize we're dumb, we can't bring anything forth the women can't bring forth, or doesn't the strength they bring forth. In other words, we can't bring anything out of our mouths hardly. There's nothing to worship with. There's nothing to give. You know, we've just nothing left. And God says, now the glory's mine. See? Now it's mine. 
Verse 20 says, Then Isaiah the son of Amos sent to Hezekiah, saying, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, That which thou hast prayed unto me against Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, I have heard. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that a fantastic verse? Brother, sister, maybe you're praying and praying and praying. God says, I have heard. And do you know what? See, when we can get to a place where we say, then that's enough. There's no change. It doesn't matter if there's a change he's heard. It doesn't matter if it hasn't changed today or yesterday. He's heard. It doesn't matter if it still looks bleak and black and gray and dull. And He's heard. He says, I've heard you. I've heard you. This is the word that the Lord has spoken concerning him. The virgin daughter of Zion hath despised thee and laughed thee to scorn. The daughter of Jerusalem hath shaken her head at thee. Whom hast thou reproached and blasphemed and against whom hast thou exalted thy voice and lifted up thine eyes on high even against the Holy One of Israel. Listen, when the enemy comes against you, He's not raising his hand, nor his head, nor his voice. He's not raising it against you. Yes, it's against you. He's raising it against your God. David said to Goliath, Why comest against me with a sword and a shield and a spear? I come against you in the name of the God of the armies of Israel, the Lord of hosts, who now has to fight. That's what David said. And then he slings the the stone and cuts the devil's head, or the, 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 well, the devil, yeah, in glass, cut, cuts his head off. Or when Paul was Saul and he's hunting down the church, the early church, the newborn church, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Who art thou, Lord? I am Jesus. It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. I'm not persecuting you, I'm persecuting them. They are me. They're my people. That's my body. They're my chosen. And the Lord says, oh, you may laugh at them and you may shake your head and say, we're going into them. He says, well, we're shaking our head at you because God's about to move. God's about to do something. By the messengers, thou hast reproached the Lord and hast with the multitude of, thy, of my chariots, I am come up into the height of the mountains the sides of Lebanon will cut down the tall cedar trees thereof and the fir trees thereof, and I will enter into the lodgings of his borders and into the forest of his Carmel. To save time, let's run right down just at the end here. Let's go to verse 29. And this shall be a sign unto thee, ye shall eat this year such things as grow of themselves in the second year, which springeth of the same. In the third year, sow and reap and plant vineyards and eat fruits thereof. Now, God is now speaking to the Judaites or the Jews here. He's saying, right, start sowing. Start reaping. Start working. Keep going. Don't give up. But Lord, they're at the gates. There's Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of them out there. The, the whole ground is black with a mass of people. You can't even see the ground. There's that many of them in their tents and the smoke of their fires are up. We're afraid. And he says, never mind them. I've got your back. He said, stop worrying about them. I'm going to sort this out. And he tells them, you're going to eat this year as such things grow themselves and in the second year that which springeth of the same. And in the third year, he says, sow and reap and plant vineyards and eat of the fruit. He says, You're going to, they're going to be growing, the fruit's going, the seasons are going to come, and they can sit out there. He says, but they'll not be there by the time I'm finished. But you need to keep going. You need to keep laboring. You need to keep trusting. And the remnant that has escaped out of the house of Judah shall yet again take root downward and bear fruit upward. That means they'll be well planted and they'll bear fruit. For out of Jerusalem shall go forth a remnant, and they that escape out of Mount Zion, the zeal of the Lord of hosts, shall do this. Therefore thus saith the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into the city, nor shoot an arrow there, nor come before it with shield, nor cast a bank against it, that is, build a bank against it to run up the walls, the ramparts of the walls. 
by the way that he came, by the same shall he return and shall not come into the city, saith the Lord, for I will defend the city to save it for mine own name's sake and for my servant David's sake. And I notice we looked at that last week. My servant David's sake. And it came to pass that night. Notice, it came to pass that night that the angel of the Lord went out and smote the camp of the Assyrians. What I love about the Lord, he says, you know what, you can just go to sleep, leave it to me, and I wake up in the morning, and the Lord's already done what he said he's going to do. It's like the manna in the wilderness, they go to bed, and while they're sleeping, uh, I said with reverence, God is baking. The ovens of heaven are heating and ready for them in the morning. And they had to trust God every morning for their children, trust them for their livelihood, trust them that they'd be alive by taking that manna the next day. Here he's saying, you're going to be here, now you're going to trust me. Lord, I know, but the devil, and all devil, the devil, the devil says, never mind the devil, who is he? He says, I'm your God. I'm the Lord. Not them, not him. I am God, he says. Who is he? Brothers and sisters, we must get this into us that it doesn't matter how much he encroaches. It doesn't matter how much he presses in. It doesn't matter how much he tries to hinder or harm you. Your God is the Lord. He's the great God creator of all things. And, and the devil's under his feet. And we get to the point where we can't sleep with it. The devil's outside my door. He says, so what? Leave him up to me. I'll soon fix him. Look at this. The angel of the Lord came to pass that night. The angel of the Lord went out and smote the camp of the Assyrians. Notice, a hundred, four score, and five thousand. 185,000 of them died. And when they rose early in the morning, behold, they were all dead corpses. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went and returned and dwelt at Nineveh. And it came to pass, as he was worshipping in the house of Nisroch, his god, that Adramalach and Sharezer, his son, smote him with a sword, and they escaped into the land of Armenia. And Nisrahadon, his son, reigned in his stead. Now, when we get to chapter 20, Hezekiah takes sick. I'll not go there tonight, for I want to show you something about this. Second Chronicles 18 to 19, 20, the chapters is where we are. As I said, Isaiah 36, 37, 38 is Isaiah's um, account. And Second Chronicles 28, 29, sorry, 29, 30, 31, 32. See, Chronicles, it really means a diary. And if you read it, you'll read of the king of Israel and the king of Judah. I keep saying it all the time because... People miss out on it. And to me, it's the, of the, it's the greatest key for prophecy. And because they come to distinct nations and peoples and destinies. And notice this here. Uh, the word chronicles, it means, as I said, like a diary. It's the diary of the kings. But it means more. It's the word davar. Davar. And it means simply speech, word, speaking. It means thing, utterance, or saying. So let me give you an example here. In the book of Genesis 15 and verse 1, it says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. After what things? I'll just tell you briefly in chapter 14. Uh, Abram has had the fight with the, the king's confederacy uh, who had taken Lot and so on, and he had, he had defeated them. Melchizedek comes, and he pays tithes to Melchizedek. And after showing that faith, in the tithe of Melchizedek, it says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. He's Abram, not Abraham yet. Abram in a vision, saying, fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and exceeding great reward. Now, in Genesis 15 and verse 1, it says, after these things, the word of the Lord came. See the word things and word? They're exactly the same Hebrew word, davar for chronicle. So after the story 
of these kings, and after the story of these, their wickedness, and after the story of all these things, then the faith of Abraham, not only fighting in faith for the Lord, but now he is giving of tithes of the faith um, to Melchizedek. After these things, God sees this, and it says the word or the chronicle of God. That's what it, it's the same word for chronicle. The, the utterance, the speech. This is the word that was with God and was God. Now it gives the idea of everything about the story, the whole ins and outs of it. So, in other words, go everything about and said again reverently, everything about the Lord, the whole ins and outs of Him, who He is, the Word. Steps into the picture, as it were, steps in to a vision. So the invisible God is now visible, and the Word becomes a mediator. So when you read of the prophets, the word of the Lord came, the word of the Lord came to, the word of the Lord came to. It's the devour of the Lord. It means everything that God is, his person, his essence. He says, it's God revealing himself to the prophet to tell the people. The prophet's job is to bring God to the people. So God speaks through a voice of flesh. Now, whenever we go to John 1 and 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, the same as in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. Without him is not anything made. It was made. And verse 14 says, And the word was made flesh, and dwelt among us. We beheld the glory. This glory is of the only God and the Father, full of grace and truth. So when we get to that, we see the word now encapsulated in flesh. What does Paul tell us about the Lord Jesus? This is the Lord Jesus, by the way, here now in this vision to Abraham. Abraham. So the word, after these things, Jesus reveals himself. And a vision. Notice vision, he sees it. Just doesn't hear it. He now sees it. See, deeper revelation will come in obedience. And when we get to the place where we find that, that, that God is, is challenging us to something, deeper revelation comes with it. Now Abram sees him in a vision. And he says, I am your shield. I am your exceeding great reward. What better is there than having me? Paul tells us, for there is one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. This is the same mediator. This is the same one who is the word here, who now comes in vision to Abraham. He's now clothed in flesh. He hangs on a tree. He's crucified the Son of God sheds his blood, goes to a grave, rises the third day, now he's seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us, and he's coming again. The mediator, the word that came to Abram, the whole chronicle of God is embodied in flesh, is going to come again to this earth. When we look at Genesis 18 and 14, it says, is anything too hard for the Lord? The word thing again is devour, and when we look at it, we have to say, well, Abraham is now told that he's going to be a father of many nations. Sarah's going to have a child and haven't had any. And the angel of the Lord, it says the Lord Jesus again, says, is there anything too hard? Put it in a chronicle and give it to me. Write a book of it. Chronicle it down. Put it in a chronicle, a whole list of it. Write it in your diary and say, Lord, look at this. And he'll say, is that too hard for me? Here's my impossibilities. Here's what I can't do, and I can't do, and I can't, 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 and I can't. Here's what's against me again and again and again and again and again. Here it is, Lord. Look at it. Look. He says, come before me. Bring it. Is there anything you can chronicle up from every aspect, and it's too hard for me? That's what that means. Write it. I'm not saying you literally have to write it, but if you want to, Hezekiah comes with the letters. And he opens it up after reading it, and he starts, oh no. And he spreads it before the Lord, and he says, Lord, read my impossibility. Read what the devil says. Read what the enemy is doing. Read the threatenings of the wicked one. Read he who blasphemes you. Read all his threatenings against all your people. Read this, Lord, and read that, Lord. I can't do this. Read it. 
And the Lord looks at it and he says, okay, I'll send Isaiah the prophet. And the prophet is the mediator with the logos of God coming and says, I want to use your mouth, thus saith the Lord. The prophetic word goes, you're going to end up eating your food here. You're going to plant your trees and you're going to reap your harvest and you're going to keep doing this. Now go to bed, just leave it with me. And they wake up in the morning and there's 185,000 dead corpses outside the walls. See, now that's our God. That's your God, that's my God. That's That's our God. Whenever we get to chapter 20, I'm going to wrap this up and then we can go home. Hezekiah is sick unto death. And the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, came to him and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. He turned his face to the wall and prayed unto the Lord, saying, I beseech thee, O Lord, remember now how I have walked before thee in truth with a perfect heart and done that which is good in thy sight. And Hezekiah wept sore. It shows you that God's people are not immune to emotions and feelings, to hurts. It shows you that it's all right, even though I was brought up different, well, until later, latter years, I was brought up, men don't cry. In fact, when I was younger, if I had a cry, I'd have got scalped and sent back outside again. Go sort of out. And here's a man weeping with his face to the wall. He's afraid. You've got to ask yourself, after seeing 185,000 dead Syrian soldiers, got to ask yourself, surely I would know my God by now. But here's what it shows you. While signs, wonders, and miracles are great, there's nothing to compare to devotional knowledge and relationship of the Lord. Signs, wonders, and miracles are marvelous, but they will not be there to take your hand through the veil, but to know him. To have him. So he cries. He weeps sore. It means he keeps weeping and he's weeping and he's weeping. I beseech thee, O Lord, remember now that I've walked before you, he says. Lord, will you remember me, please? Came to pass before Isaiah was gone out in the middle of the court that the word of the Lord came to him saying, here's it again. The very concept, it gives the idea of a concept. The logos as a, a Greek equivalent, the very concept, God himself. This is the Lord Jesus, actually. As it were, steps down from Isaiah 6's throne. If you want, you know, I, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, hand lifted up. He basically steps down and he comes down and he, he stands, as it were, invisible as it is. We're not told it's a vision here. And he says, Isaiah, go speak to Hezekiah. He goes and he says, verse 5, Turn again and tell Hezekiah, the captain of my people, Thus saith the Lord, the God of David thy father, I have heard thy prayer. I have seen thy tears. Isn't that lovely? Wouldn't you think the God of the Old Testament is a a rotten, terrible God sometimes, wouldn't you? People say, oh, he's so wicked a God and he's a cruel God, is he? I've heard thy prayer. I've seen your tears. Behold, I will heal thee. On the third day thou shalt go up unto the house of the Lord, and I will add unto thy days fifteen years, and I will deliver thee and the city out of the hand of the king of Assyria. And I will defend this city for mine own sake and for my servant David's sake. And Isaiah said, Take a lump of figs. And he took it and laid it on the boil, and he recovered. I believe this was a tumor. Actually, it was either a septic boil going through him or it was a tumor. And they made the figs. And actually, in Judah, was, uh, the Judah or the Jews, their, their symbol is a fig tree. And they made the, the poultice, and he sticks it on it. 
Now here's what you've got to ask yourself. Why did one, God not just speak to Hezekiah himself? Or two, why did he not just say, Hezekiah, you're healed? Or tell Isaiah to tell Hezekiah he was healed, you're healed? Because God can do that. Why make a polis and go and put it on the boy? Doesn't it show you God sometimes? He's a, a thousand ways to answer every prayer. And the thing is, we don't rubbish the medical profession because God can use it to help us. Hezekiah said unto Isaiah, What shall be the sign that the Lord will heal me? That I shall go up into the house of the Lord the third day. And Isaiah said, This sign shall thou have of the Lord, that the Lord will do the thing that he has spoken. And shall, shall the shadow go forward ten degrees or go back ten degrees? And Hezekiah answered, It is a light thing for the shadow to go down ten degrees. Nay, but let the shadow return backwards ten degrees. See the sundial to tell the time. He says, now, if you say to me, you're healed and the sun's going to go down 10 degrees, he says, well, it's going that way anyway. It could just be the sun's dropping quick tonight, as it were. But if it's meant to be going that way and the dial goes that way, then I'll know it's real. That's what he's saying. He says, well, go. And you know what? He goes up. Isaiah the prophet cried unto the Lord and he brought the shadow 10 degrees backwards. Isn't that amazing? I don't know how that happens. I don't know. Which is, by which it had gone in the dial of Ahaz. And it, well, not, well, that's a diff- we're going to do a different passage altogether there. We're going to do a different passage altogether. And then we'll look at that, God willing, next week. But what I do want to do is I want to reverse back. Remember where I was showing you last week where the kingdoms had divided and God had given one tribe for a light-bearing tribe and then... Uh, I want to show you some of the kings that came out and why Hezekiah, when he'd done the Reformation, he was even worse than our nation is today. So what it tells me is God is still on the throne. And if we're obedient and faithful to him, God will work it out for the good. He always does. He's a plan bigger than ours. God bless his word to us all this evening.